Welcome to the Bloom Where You're Planted podcast from Never Too Late Cafe. I'm your host, Laura Womack. Each week we sit down for a chat with someone just like you, someone who had an idea, a passion, a dream, or sometimes just a thought and planted that seed, watched it grow into something they wanted to share with the world. If you have an idea for a topic or someone that would be a guest for the Bloom Where You're Planted podcast, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook where you can join our Never Too Late Cafe Facebook group. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome back and join us for part two of our time with Guy Tedesco. There was one that really struck me and it was um, about the first responder memorial and it's huge. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm actually standing looking at that right now. I haven't brought it down to, uh, uh, I've got some a little bit of work left to do to it. It's not a, an overly large piece, but it's a very moving piece. Um, you know, I did live casting in that. I've got uh, the, they, the, the original thing was that they, uh, uh, they had a, uh, a, an artifact from the World Trade Center. They had a piece of steel from the World Trade Center. Not very big, about, you know, 12 or 13 inches square uh, and about three quarters of an inch thick, you know, just a heavy piece of steel. And so I started thinking about first responders and um, uh, I started, you know, I've, I've done several pieces where I love to do things where, where the, the uh, intended audience or the, the people who are receiving the piece actually participate in creating it in some way. And I've had as many as 750 people participate in a single project. Oh my goodness! Uh, and, and active part of it, um, and anyway, um, with the first responders, uh, I decided to make this base piece that was fairly, very symmetrical and logical and kind of strong and represented the all of the training that and 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 drilling and all of that kind of stuff and and preparedness for any type of an emergency in a first responder, okay? Uh, and then I thought about the first responder community being more than just these people who have a job as a firefighter or a police officer or anything like that, but uh, actually being about their families. Their families are so incorporated into that job. Uh, oh, absolutely. You know, uh, you know, and then not only their families, their friends, their support system. And then you think about not only the people actively on that front line, but the political structure around first response, you know, uh, just a mayor, a mayor being involved in it and directing that, you know, and it's, so it's, a, it's a much broader community than we actually think of. So what I did, I made a big clay panel the size of the pieces that I wanted. So I've got this welded together steel structure. Uh, and then I made uh, four glass panels. And with that clay panel, I had all the first responders in the county, uh, their families, the politicians, all of those people came in and they pressed their thumbprint into that clay panel. So that became the base for my glass panels. And I cast four glass panels 
uh, and it's got it lights up inside, and you can see their fingerprints. Uh, you can get a very accurate reading of their fingerprints on these pieces. Uh, so that represents the first responder community. And then all of that is very symmetrical and logical, except for that thumbprint texture. It looks like a, uh, like a bunch of pebbles, basically, these thumbprints all over it. Uh, and they're all different sizes from, you know, these big beefy guys to little bitty babies. People would bring their children in and little bitty babies would put their thumbprints in there. Uh, anyway, coming up out of the top of it, uh, I did life casting of six different people. Um, there's an active duty firefighter. Uh, I did their arms coming up out of the top of it. Okay. So from their hand all the way down, uh, almost to their shoulder. Um, and there's an active duty firefighter, active duty police officer, active duty, uh, dispatch worker. Uh, the first female firefighter in the County who's retired now. And then two people, one woman is 87. Uh, and you really see just wonderful age in her hand and everything. Um, her father, I believe, was uh, killed in the line of duty. He was the police chief and killed in the line of duty two weeks before he retired. Uh, and then a man who um, his wife's father, she didn't want to do it, so he did it for her. So his father-in-law, his wife's father, uh, was killed a firefighter killed in the line of duty when his wife was only two months old and he was 94. So this was, you know, 90 years ago. Um, uh, anyway, they are reaching up out of the top of this piece in a very chaotic sort of way. Uh, and they're holding that piece of steel from the world trade center. So that's kind of a mounting. It's almost mounted like a jewel there in their hands. Um, and the, the piece of steel is rough and it's, it's just roughly cut on the edges and everything. And, and, uh, they're just holding it all the way around, holding it up and it's kind of off kilter and it represents the chaos in any first response emergency. Um, so, you know, there's this, this whole dynamic story being told in these pieces and I put tons of uh, story into my pieces, that's for sure. Well, and I know at one point you actually led a team of some teenage students and adults in creating some trails and stuff. Um, oh. Yeah, that is... Oh, um, the St. Pat uh, Francis poem. Okay. That was with the creations. Yep. Okay. That, that's I, out at, no, that's out at Mount St. Francis. Um, that is a sculpture in 800 years. It's the second reclining figure of Francis of Assisi. Uh, and I made a reclining figure. The, the friars there, um, the friars there, um, um, they, took me out into the woods and they said, Hey, we've got this spot out here that we just love. Uh, it was the spot. There was this tree growing big old tree and there were all these initials carved into it. And at one time this was a seminary high school for boys. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. so boys interested in Fiskin lifestyle and 
and then possibly being a brother or a priest. And um, uh, anyway, they, this this priest told me, he said, yeah, he said, when we were kids, this is where we would come and get in trouble. If we stole a beer, this is where we drank it. You know, this is called the spring. And it was there was this little mud puddle, basically, uh, uh, you know, that, that was actually a natural spring. So had uh, 60 students there for about a week or two weeks. I don't remember. And one summer. And um, they're mostly high school age kids. And uh, uh, we built trails out to the uh, built trails out to it. And then we also did I did this sculpture of Francis reclining. And when I went out there and I looked at it, the the priest that I was talking to said, we don't need another holy sculpture of Francis. And so I did a lot of research on Francis. And it turns out Francis of Assisi was a very human person. He actually died of syphilis. Uh, he, and people don't think about a saint like that. You know, this is the, one of the most famous saints of any faith in all the world, Francis of Assisi, uh, and did so many different things that we take for granted. It is, he's actually known as the father of modern poetry uh, because of his writing style. Uh, anyway, Francis, uh, I made a very accurate image of him uh, physically. He was only about five feet tall, and I've been to Assisi. I've been to uh, uh, the places where he was. I've seen his actual clothing. Uh, and uh, I studied, uh, he was a very thin, frail man. Uh, uh, very, they said he had very spare flesh, you know, he just was very thin and gaunt. Uh, uh, and like I said, only about five feet tall, you know, you don't think of somebody that prominent being that small, you know, you just don't think of it. Uh, anyway, I also studied, uh, physical descriptions of Francis by his followers, by people who knew him. If you think about in the, back in the day, you couldn't snap a selfie with somebody prominent that you met. Um, uh, so people would write letters and they would write down, yeah, I met Francis of Assisi today and this is what he looked like. So there are all these descriptions of people in history that you don't realize exist. But I also studied a bust that was done of Francis by a sculptor named Della Robbia uh, about 200 years after Francis died. The legend has it was done from a life mask or a death mask of Francis. Uh, back in the day, that was another thing they would do to preserve preserve somebody's image. They would uh, make a death mask of them, uh, just make a mask of their face using plaster and, and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, so as I looked at that bust, it looked to me culturally like a death mask that had been worked over. Um, so oh. anyway, I studied all that. I feel like this is what Francis physically truly looked like. Um, and, you know, it's, it's that sculpture. The guy is just chilling out next to a spring. I put his sandals uh, or sitting on a rock next to the water like he had you know, been soaking his feet or something like that. And, you know, he's just sitting there quietly, just enjoying nature and enjoying life. And I thought, 
Yeah. If I was Francis and I came here and we had this little spring and all this, that's what I would be doing. I'd be just chilling out, you know? So it's about kind of creating a human moment. And in, in a lot of my, uh, especially religious work, uh, one of the things that I say is that, that a lot of religious figures, even Jesus, and people will argue with me about this, I say we even over-deify the life of Jesus. And in so doing, uh, uh, you know, of course we want to recognize divinity, but in so doing, we negate the greatest teaching of their lives, which is the living, the choices that they make, the living of their human lives, you know? Uh, and, you know, we look at Francis of Assisi and we say, oh, I can't live that great of a life. He was a saint. And I say, well, he died of syphilis. You know, he chose to live an extraordinary life. And don't give yourself that excuse. You can make that choice, too. You know, so anyway, that's what that sculpture is kind of about and um, why it's done the way it is. And yes, there were kids uh, like when I made the sandals, I wanted them to look old and worn. So I made little clay sandals. And I had two different kids, one boy and one girl who had, had about the same size feet. And I had them stand on those things and work their feet down into them. So they, they looked like they were naturally worn, you know. And I had, uh, there was another girl who was about the right size and shape. And I had her pose for the piece. So, you know, as I was kind of sculpting the initial form, you know, I said, okay, I want you really relaxed. I'm laying here and. And uh, he laid down and, you know, that's the way that how I made my original form. And then I had kids helping me on the piece itself. Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I love to have groups like that really incorporated into creating. Wow. Well, Guy, our, I have so enjoyed hearing all of the many projects and all of your many talents and skills and the just your knowledge of things and your, and your passion. So um, what is next for you? You know, I am, I just turned 60 years old this last uh, April and Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here and thinking, okay, how long can I do these big physical projects? Mm. Uh, I have a number of projects uh, that are fairly large and that I've been putting off for years. Uh, And so I'm really hoping to try and focus and get funding on those. I have been doing a lot of um, what I call big game fishing for projects. Uh, there are projects always around the country, you know, million dollars, half million dollars, you know, all this, you know, nice big numbers. And I design something and I think, okay, yeah, that's great. You know, and I put in, fill out what's called an RFQ, a request for qualifications. And, you know, for some reason, I'm not even getting on the short list for them, much less getting the projects. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what that means other than a lot of times, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I go to church regularly. I go to church every Sunday. I'm a good Catholic boy, but, uh, uh, certainly not a perfect Catholic boy. <laughs> um, 
And, um, but I'm very spiritual more than anything, much more than religious. I often say that God is God, faith is faith, religion is only a language. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm saying, you know, okay, God, what do I have left to do? You know, some of these projects, uh, you know, there's a project about, a very Catholic project about the rosary and about Mary, that Mary will be depicted in a way that she's never been depicted ever, uh, very respectfully, uh, very traditionally in a lot of ways. But uh, for instance, I often ask people when I start talking about this project, when you think of Mary, how old is she? You know, and people usually say, oh, 18, 20 years old. They only think, and the, the image of Mary is the most controlled image in history, literally. Um, and there's even a, a, a glossary of terms for Marian artwork where um, Mary, uh, you know, an artist will be told, okay, I want an image of Mary. I want her looking like this. I want her this emotional. I want her, and usually very non-emotional, Mary is always depicted as very stoic, you know, and obedient. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't see Mary that way. And here again, here's this humanity. I see Mary as a very passionate woman, you know, and obviously a very strong woman, you know, and um, uh, I want to show her that way. So I ask people, when at the end of Mary's life on earth, how old was she? Do you know? No. Mary lived well into her 80s. Oh. Have you ever seen an image of an old Mary? Mm-mm. That's because they really don't exist. So I want to do this series of sculptures of Mary in various stages of her life. And so like with the glorious mysteries that, that Mary at the end of her life, um, I want to see this 80-plus-year-old woman who has this incredible life in her face, this wisdom and grace, this presence that she's just sitting quietly. She's not doing anything crazy. She's just sitting quietly. And you just... It's the kind of thing that you just want her to speak so badly, you know, and, and, you know, what that sure does, I was speaking with Archbishop Kurtz about this one time at my studio here, and um, this is, this is four sculptures, and um, he said, he loved it, he said, how much? He said, I want $2 million. And he's like, whoa, that's outside the parish budget. <laughs> yeah. I said, let me tell you why. And I told him why. I told him, I said, this sculpture, when I was first a little child, you know, here I grew up in this house with all this religious artwork all over the place. And, you know, and, and it's Italian mom and dad. And, you know, we had to kneel down at night and pray the rosary for 15 minutes. You know, we'd turn the TV off and me and my brothers, we all had to pray the rosary with mom and dad, you know, and, um, uh, you know, so I was raised kind of like that, but the first thing I ever wanted to create 
was a sculpture of Mary. I've never been commissioned to create a sculpture of a woman, ever. I've done a lot of sculptures. I'm around right now looking at almost 20 sculptures in my studio right now, life-size pieces, then even more smaller pieces. The only ones of females that I've ever done, uh, actually, I can't say I was never commissioned because I I have been working on a life-size nativity scene, so there's a sculpture of Mary in there. But even in that, when I was talking to the guy who was, who was commissioning it, I said, okay, I said, why don't we put a couple of village women in there, not just shepherds? This is a small village, and a child was being born. You don't think there were any women around? So... He's like, no, there were no women at the, at the nativity. I'm like, okay. I said, well, let's make the angel female. He said, no, angels are only male. I said, not in heaven I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Um, um, so your, your goal is to child. do some, some stages of Mary. Well, yeah, Mary at all stages of her life, from very young and very pregnant, very emotional, uh, very uh, like the sorrowful mysteries. Mary is watching Jesus being tortured to death. I don't want to see a woman with a tear rolling down her cheek. I want to see a pile of weeping woman. You know, I feel like I know that if I were being tortured to death, my mother would be for sure. You know, um, uh, you know, I, I want to see that. And so the, the point of this sculpture is it values every moment of Mary's life, who is arguably one of the most powerful females in history. Wars are still being fought over the thought of Mary, okay? To this day, 2,000 years later. So it it values every moment of this female life that is deeply undervalued and underestimated, you know, and I feel like it's called for very much in today's world. Women are making leaps and bounds of progress, of course, in uh, opportunities and, and, you know, all of that and achievements and, and in their position in the world and all of that. But in all of that fray, you also have women who are getting lost. And you have women who are getting lost in, in, uh, in the outer guise of those achievements or in women who want to live simple lives, you know, and, and simple lives that aren't so simple. You know, that are very complex. It's very complex uh, uh, raising a family. And there are people who just want to do that. You know, and so is that person not powerful? Is that person not just as powerful as anybody else? So here is a woman who is, again, arguably one of the most powerful females in history. Uh, Her memory is. And um, she actually lived a life that was both simple in many ways, but also very complex for a woman of her time. 
we don't give credit to uh, the females in the early church, uh, you know, and the amount of work and, and the, the, the things that they did and how important they actually were to that church, you know, because um, uh, our patriarchal everything that happened for centuries, you know, just kind of negated everything. And we're just starting to revisit all of that. Well, this is a visiting of that, you know, and so I think about moving forward. I think, okay, I think that this is important to do, you know, along with other things like this creation project, you know, the the project with the pregnant torsos. I have a woman who I was telling about this project once, and she became so moved as a child her mother picked up her, herself and her kids and, and moved and lived with a Maasai tribe in Africa for a while. And so she's got, I think, four kids at that time, uh, you know, fairly young woman. And she's living with a Maasai tribe. Well, their experience with that Maasai tribe, um, as I was telling this woman about this, she said, oh, my gosh. And I mentioned a Maasai herdsman's prayer in that book. She said, you know, the Maasai at that time revered the creation process and the motherhood and the, the process of giving birth and all of that so much that when a woman, when it was discovered that a woman became pregnant, she was considered divine. Uh, and she wow. was not to be physically touched by any person, including her husband while she was pregnant in respect for her divinity. Oh my uh, gosh. And today in that area, they cut the breasts off of women so that they can't feed their children. <gasps> he said, this sculpture could reconnect them to that spirituality. So, you know, you think about that, you think about the importance of those pieces and so moving forward, I'd love to get the funding that I need for these things. You know, I may have to fight for it. I may have to do other projects, and those other projects may force me to never accomplish what I need to do, actually. I don't know. Then again, you know, somebody could hand me a bunch of money, and, you know, I could just get rolling with it. Uh, That's true. So, anyway. Well, I think our time has about come to close and again i hope you find those that funding keep living your passion this is the never too late cafe sponsored bloom where you're planted podcast this is laura womack your host saying bye for now and i want to thank you thank you guy for being a guest tonight you're so welcome it was really a pleasure laura I no, I spend my life kind of alone in my studio a lot of times, and I always say artwork is only of value when it's shared, and oh. whether it's visually or just in our discussion, uh, I truly appreciate the opportunity to share what I do because it is what gives it value.